You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. Now, as we get ready to turn our attention to Scripture, I want to uh, invite you to recognize this is one of those Scriptures that you've probably heard more than a few times. It involves Jesus feeding of thousands. And, of course, there are several versions of those moments when Jesus did that in Scripture. This one in particular is interesting because Jesus had intended to go off with his disciples. And then a crowd followed. And it's what Jesus did here that turned what could have been a chaotic and perhaps crisis moment into a time of blessing, of miracle. He created community. And I invite you here now as my good friend Luke Poirier begins to share the scripture, hear the drama between Jesus and the disciples, hear the question of what will happen to us from the crowd, and hear the difference that Jesus made in this meal. Luke? A reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless... We go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? Gracious, loving, and eternal God, I ask that you would take the offering of these thoughts and what each of us has brought to this moment and transform them. Even in our best intent, we pray that you will take what we've brought and make them something more, something where we can really lean into and hear and receive, and yes, be fed by you. All of this is to your glory for your purpose. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Our dining room table is too small. In our home in Montrose, uh, there is a designated room for the dining room, but it's too small. 
By any standards, there is, in fact, a table in that dining room, but quite frankly, it's just a folding table, and it's up against the window. If it were to be brought into the middle of the room and unfolded, well, quite frankly, it would stand out into the living room next to it. There's, there's really just not enough space, even for that small table. And I know that the table um, belongs in the center of the room because several times over the last few weeks, I've walked in to the light fixture that's hanging down that should be in the center of the table, but there's no room to put the table underneath the center of that light fixture. And so we were struggling to figure out what to do, where we would place our table when we move into Montrose. And then... Laura, my beautiful interior decorator and wife, saw another option. In conversations with friends, she also began to see other possibilities and suggested, why don't we not use the dining room as a dining room? Instead, why don't we put our table at the end of the family room that never gets used? It's only a walkthrough, basically, from the uh, kitchen out into the deck. Why don't we put our table there where it's long, where our table fits the contour of the room and where we'll be surrounded by natural light with all, all the windows that are there. And so that's what we're going to do. When we looked at the dining room and it was too small, we saw a problem. But when Laura took a look around, she, she saw other options, other options that I'm really excited about, especially because the other thing she said was, well, let's make this area over here our dining room, and you can use what's designated as a dining room as your office and fly tying room. So I was really excited about the solution. Well, in a similar way, we have a story of Scripture today where there is a problem, where there is a challenge. And at first, those who were gathered, those who were there, could only see the problem. They couldn't see other possibilities. They needed Jesus to be able to find a way to resolve this conflict that had happened as they were coming to the time when they needed to have a meal. Now, you and I both know that in scriptures, in Jesus' time, coming together for a meal was more than just getting food. It had its entire construct. It had rules and guidelines. And there was a whole process by which you came to the meal, and in that meal followed the guidelines, followed the ritual to allow you to be drawn closer to God and remember who you were, but also served the purpose of keeping some people out of the meal. It helped designate where you sat in the meal, where you belonged in the pecking order of those who were in the meal. It told you when you could eat in contrast to others who would be sharing the same meal. There were all kinds of guidelines about that meal time in the time of Jesus. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus continually teaching at mealtime. Jesus made it a point to bless lives when he gathered around tables and to share food. Nearly 50 times in the Gospel, we see Jesus at a table, at a meal, breaking bread with others. In the ancient Near East, everything around sharing together food 
was important. And what one did around the table was very critically important. And everybody knew the rules. There is an old Near Eastern proverb that said, I saw them eating and I knew who they were. By watching how people conducted themselves around the table, the rituals and rules they followed, it told you what culture they were a part of, what religion they embraced. It said a lot more, too. In the culture of Jesus' day, there were so many rules to follow. They were important and many times did serve as a blessing. It was a way to pass down tradition from one generation to the next. But it's exactly a table where Jesus often got himself in trouble because Jesus didn't always follow the rules. Jesus, when he sat at table, didn't concern himself with who was sitting with him. He was glad to eat with anyone. And he didn't care where people sat. He wanted people to come to the table and share food with him, share fellowship with him. He wasn't concerned uh, to follow all the guidelines that one was supposed to follow. He kept getting in trouble. And the Gospel of Luke tells us that the religious folk of his own time murmured against him because of his table habits, his table customs, and the company he kept. I saw them eating, and I knew who they were, was not said by the religious people as a positive thing about Jesus. It said he's that rule breaker. He's the one who's not following our customs. And that includes what happens today in the story that Luke just read to us. In this scripture, we see Jesus once again upsetting expectations. And this time in massive proportions. Now the story here is set near Bethsaida, which is on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. Bethsaida would have been an interesting place to live during the time of Jesus because some of Jesus' most amazing miracles happened in and around that region. He healed people in miraculous ways. And also, in this story today, fed thousands when there were those who were hoping that wasn't what was going to happen. Now, let's be clear what's happening in this story. Jesus has just given, at the beginning of this chapter in Luke, the ability and direction for his disciples to go out, and they themselves, without him with them, to go out and proclaim the gospel. They were allowed to actually take on the role of sharing the message of Jesus. And in the sharing of that, not only speak, but act. It says that they healed others, just as Jesus was a healer. And after their mission was accomplished, they came back. And you can imagine the energy as they began to share with Jesus and, of course, with each other what had happened when they went to particular homes and gatherings in the community. Each one had their own story. Each one had their own victory to celebrate. And the energy was high. And you knew they wanted to just go off by themselves after going out into the community and to be among others. They wanted that special moment to sort of debrief, brag, if you will, even, with each other and really please Jesus by what they had to say. So Jesus took them off by themselves, but crowds gathered and followed. And as they came, it wasn't just a crowd of 100 or 400. And this wasn't preacher math, you know, where a crowd of 100 shows up and in the book it shows 220 were there. No, this is 
uh, the math of Scripture. So as they came, it was 5,000 or more by the time you add in the women and the children. And so they gathered together, and they're there to listen to Jesus. And you know that when the disciples looked up and saw the crowd coming, they said, Jesus, come on, we got to get out of here. We really don't want to deal with this. And yet it's Jesus himself who gets up and says, hey, guys, we're over here. He welcomes the crowd in. He changes the dynamic of everything that was about to go on in that place. Whether it was going to be a small, intimate group, just the 12 and him, became a massive gathering. And Jesus taught, and he healed, and he connected with the people. And as the day went on, disciples realized that not only was their intimate time with Jesus not going to occur in the way in which they had planned, that Jesus intended to invite others into that holy experience as well, what they discovered was, wait a minute, we got to feed these people. These people are going to get hungry. Hey, Jesus, you need to send them off. There are towns that they could get to. We aren't so far in the wilderness, but that isn't possible. But Jesus says, no, we're not going to send them away. You feed them. The disciples saw the problem. And they had a solution, which meant they had little risk or involvement. Just send the folks away, let them go fend for themselves, they'll be fine. But Jesus said, no, we're going to be invested in these people. I want you to help find the solution. And he said to them, you feed them. And they said, what are you talking about feeding? We don't have anything. Well, there's a little bit here. And then Jesus steps in and makes all the difference. He makes all the difference by changing the dynamics and by creating what would have been a problem in the eyes of the disciples into a feast and a miracle in the eyes of generations that would follow. Jesus saw another option. And that's always what Jesus does at the meal. Of course, table drama should not have surprised the disciples. They'd had many moments at table when Jesus really changed the entire dynamics of the room and of the gathering. And as we look at Scripture, we see that to be true. Whether Jesus is just casually asking for water from someone and it becomes, becomes more than just an ancient sort of getting coffee with each other, it becomes a transformative moment for the Samaritan woman and for the village in which she lived. And when he gathered together in homes of Pharisees and all of a sudden other people were welcomed into the room, the Pharisees never would have welcomed into their home, but Jesus said, no, let them come on in. Uh, by Jesus going into a community and instead of going to the people he should have gone to to eat with, he looks up in the trees and says, hey, Zacchaeus, you got anything to eat? Let me come over to your house. I mean, continually, Jesus overturned the apple cart, changed the dynamics and created moments of transformation and blessing that others could not see as possible, or maybe even appropriate. To all, Jesus changed lives around tables. And he welcomed people. He welcomed everyone into those moments. He created community with just simple food. And he changed the world with table diplomacy by saying to anyone, my table is big enough, including in this moment. Jesus doesn't see a crowd too big to manage. He sees an opportunity to increase the size of the table. So instead of the gathering where the disciples might have eaten, he says, everyone take a seat on the ground. He made of the ground and the grass a table that could be as large as it needed to be to accommodate everyone who showed up. And then he takes the food that everyone said was not enough 
and he gave everyone their fill because Jesus makes the difference and whether there's simple food to eat or whether it's a feast and it's not about the food alone. Now, I can't explain the miracle because miracles aren't supposed to be explained, you understand. But what I can say is this. Jesus made the difference by taking what was there and offering to God and sharing it. And that miracle still exists today with how we're able to feed our friends and neighbors when they show up unexpectedly all the way to what we do in the food ministry here We find that by faith and prayer in times of scarcity and pandemic, there will be enough food to feed all who show up because Jesus makes a difference in our lives and the way in which we give and in the ways in which we serve. Jesus, in this moment of this miracle, said, we got a table large enough for everyone. We've got food enough for everyone. Never let your table be a reason why people can't gather. He says that to that community. Then he says it to the community of the beloved faithful today. He says it to us. Keep your table always large enough to let everyone in. And I also want to suggest to you, he makes the simple quiet tables holy and sacred as well. In this time of the pandemic, there have been many of us who have been eating at tables that are smaller than normal, and some of you have been eating by yourself. You are alone. And as I was thinking about you and thinking about this scripture, I was reminded in the Seder meal, you may know that there is a place at the table where there's a chair that is kept empty in case Elijah shows up. And you keep the door open in case Elijah shows up. And I was thinking about the fact Perhaps the invitation for us is not always simply to make our table larger, but to make sure that our table is always large enough for Jesus, that we create space for him, that we would never eat alone, that you and I together, when we sit down, whether it's by ourselves at home or in a restaurant and we're by ourselves, we can image, we can set a table, we can set a place setting, we can have a chair available to signify and remind us that we are not alone. Jesus is with us in that meal. And so I invite you to remember that when Jesus is making the table large enough for everyone, he's also saying, even when you eat by yourself, I'll be with you. And that presence of Christ can turn a meal that may feel lonely to one that feels holy for you to be comforted and to know that eating alone is never being alone. And that Christ is with you. And in that sharing, you can find community. My dad still eats when he's at home at a table where there's a candle with a picture of my mama. They've been eating together ever since she passed away. And it helps drive the loneliness away for him. Well, Christ is at his table too. Christ is at your table too, wherever you are. And it's important to remember that. It is not our despair or feast or lack of food or number of guests or no guests or whether we are inside or outside, whether we are thriving in our life or whether we are messed up that determines the blessings of the meals we share. It is the difference when we invite Jesus to come to those meals with us.
in whatever condition, wherever we are and whoever we are with or whether we are alone. Our hungers are met when we turn to Jesus to share food and fellowship with us. This last week, I was honored to share a celebration at a graveside for Judy Cook. I married Judy and Larry four years ago. They had been together for about 14 years altogether, but they got married four years ago. Wonderful couple. And Judy, Judy was a woman of just great vivaciousness, a, a light. A, a, she loved people. She loved uh, hospitality. She kept her home meticulous. Uh, not because she was rigid, but because she was open to sharing hospitality and wanted to be ready to do that anytime someone showed up. Right before the pandemic hit, Judy contracted lung cancer, and she's had a very difficult year. And she passed away, and we celebrated her life this week. And in that celebration, Larry, her husband, brought a prayer that Judy had written. Judy had in her life, like all of us, had ups and downs. And as she and Larry came together, they found joy and happiness. They found life as she believed it was meant to be lived, and she began to have a real peace and power with Jesus Christ. When she had known Christ all her life, I'm not saying anything other than that, but there was a moment when she began to realize the importance of, and the difference Jesus made. And she wrote this prayer. Dear God, how often I have looked to someone or something else to meet my needs. I realize this is tempting but futile. Help me accept the truth that you are the only one who can truly satisfy my innermost longings. I turn to you now and ask that you will meet my needs in your way. I know that you only want my best, so I submit all to you. Love, Judy. Judy wrote this prayer as she surrendered herself to feast with Christ and to find that it is in Jesus. He's the difference that allows us to receive all that we need. That's what they found in this scripture. It's not about how little you have. It's about whether you let Christ be at the meal with you and you'll have all that you need. The Apostle Paul wrote in, to the Ephesians, we are no longer strangers and aliens, but citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God. We are strangers. We ourselves who have been brought into God's family. And we have a family story to tell about how God has redeemed us and made us God's own. How God is throwing a banquet. And the shocking thing of all, you and I are invited into that banquet. Whether we are the poor, or the crippled, the lame, the blind, we are the outcasts. We are the ones who are adopted into the family of God. And when we are loved and fed at every table we eat in the name of Jesus Christ, we are the ones who then go out in the world to feed and to offer hospitality. We are then the ones in the name of Jesus, like those disciples, to go and love the stranger and the alien among us. At every table with Jesus, we are identified. But we are also identified by how we welcome others who would join us. Let it be said of us, that others saw us eating and they knew who we were and who we worship. May God bless you at your table. May God bless you at the intimacy over the table when you are by yourself and may when the crowds show up. You always make sure 
that your table is big enough to serve all. In the name of Jesus Christ, may it be so. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.